Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. And this is kind of a hybrid service uh, between a Sunday morning and our Christmas Eve thing. So they're kind of blended together. So we're glad you guys are able to join us. And we're going to just kind of have a, a brief time this morning. And basically, I want to look at what gift God has given us and how that allows us to give a little, love a little, love a little and laugh a little. Give a little, love a little and laugh a little. And basically, the idea is as I keep going round and round in my head with this whole idea of Christmas. And is it, is it a good idea to, to do all these gifts and what's going on? I, I've come to the conclusion that yes, it's a good idea to do all these gifts. Um, <laughs> I usually get a lot of good things. And, uh, and here's my reasoning as I really thought through it. And it's just simply this. God gave his best to us. And what he gave us was himself. And so when God gave Jesus Christ and put him in the little manger there, really what God was doing was handing us his son, whose chief purpose in life was to die that we might live. His chief purpose was to, to shed his blood so that our sins would be forgiven. And, and um, Christmas is a great time because we go into it with such enormous expectations, and we all know how everything usually just gets all muddied up. Uh, conflict, arguments, um, maybe your in-laws, I don't know. Different things happen. Uh, you're in Walmart and somebody grabs the last toy and you guys actually fight. You know, I mean, Christmas is a good time to show us that even though we can conceive of a perfect world, that we're not perfect. That things go wrong, we fall short, we don't measure up, uh, we don't meet the standard, we actually do things that are bad, we, we're not perfect. And that's what Jesus came for, was Jesus came to die so that we could be forgiven for how we fall short in the things that we do wrong, that God could forgive us for our sins and reconcile us to himself. The the idea is God is necessarily separated from us because of our sin, and Jesus came so that that could be put back together. That's the long and the short of it. And so when God gave Jesus, God gave us himself. Now, here's the, the, the important thing about that, um, because you might be thinking, okay, great, and you can just move on to the next thing. And, and we have to stop and realize that when God gives us himself, he gives us the greatest thing that could possibly be given. Now, contemplating God is, is always an interesting thing. It's, it's hard to like get into the mind of God and look down, and none of us are like at the center of the universe, so it's a little awkward. But here's the deal. Um, the greatest thing that God can give is himself because he is the most valuable thing, most important thing, the biggest thing in the whole universe. And so if God were to give us something smaller than himself and act like that was the most important thing that he could give us, he'd be committing idolatry. He'd be taking something of lesser worth and giving it to us as if it's worth more than himself. And not only would he be committing idolatry by exalting something of lesser value, he'd be taking himself of greater value and treating it as if it's less important, and that's called profaning the name of God. And so God would be doing two things. He'd be offering us something of less value, and he'd also be removing himself, which is of greater value. And God's not going to do that because he loves us. So God gives us himself. Okay, God gives us himself. He gives us a relationship. He restores us. He gives us life. He ties us up in that and grounds us. And there is no greater thing in the whole wide world, period. 
Um, Linda Janney, if you know our middle school director, um, and if you don't, you should. Um, she's phenomenally energetic, uh, wonderful, good-hearted person. And she was telling us a story just two days ago about a Christmas gift she gave to her family. She was at Moody and wasn't going to be able to go home for Christmas. Her family had already kind of dealt with it. And then at the last minute, she got online and found some cheap ticket. And she hopped on a plane and flew out and got someone to take her to her house. And she went and and got a big box, cut a hole out of the bottom, and basically put it over herself and and rang the doorbell and kind of like (laughs) hidden this big Christmas box, whatever. Okay, uh, that was the greatest gift that Christmas um, to her, her family, at least to her parents. Her brothers might not have taken that as the greatest gift, but um, God has given us himself. Now, I think we lose sight of the importance of that. It's a lot like when I was growing up and my dad was one of the dads that, that always kind of when I was whining and complaining and being a um, spoiled American, he'd always say to me, be glad I ha- uh, I've put a roof over your head, you know. Um, you should be grateful that, that you have a roof over your head. And, and I'd always be like, oh, Dad, you know, come on. I'm serious, you know. And he'd be like, I'm serious too, you know. And we, we do that. We take for granted probably the greatest things because they're common. Common in the sense that they're, they're there every day. And so we get accustomed to them. We grow accustomed to them. And then we begin to forget them and take them for granted. And we do that with God. God has given us himself. It is the greatest gift. And we begin to wander off like me when I was 10 years old and take that for granted. And we want the BMX bike. And I don't know about you, if, if you ever asked for a bike for Christmas. I did one year. Um, and, um, and so I had this, I had this amazing banana seat bike with the big handlebars, banana seat, and it was mustard yellow. Okay. Uh, and this was in the 80s when BMX became really cool. And I just asked for a bike, and I just knew that I'd get this bike because I wanted it so bad. And so I was so excited on Christmas Day because my parents began dropping these hints like they'd gotten me this bike. You know, you read your parents. And so I came in pretty confident. And they hadn't gotten me a, a BMX bike. Um, they had gotten me BMX handlebars to put on my banana seat bike. <laughs> that didn't quite match. And now I'm driving this banana seat bike with these, it was was an interesting thing. But so we get really focused on the bike. It's shiny. It's new. My friends are going to see me. I got to have it to keep up. And it's urgent. It's urgent. It's urgent. And we take for granted the other stuff. And this morning, as we look forward to the next couple days, you know, and come December 25th at night, you've missed your window for like this year's Christmas. So do like me. Get a babysitter tonight and begin Christmas like today uh, so that you don't Christmas night feel like you've missed it. But the idea is this. Get away and reflect on the fact that God has given us himself and it's the greatest gift because it will begin everything that needs to happen in your heart or in your relationships this Christmas because that's where it all gets started. So let's give a little. Um, The second thing is love a little here. And I just, the first one flows into the second one and If you turn to Luke, in Luke chapter 7, we see how um, what God gives flows into our love, okay? And basically, the story is, in chapter 7 of Luke, Jesus is sitting there at Simon the Pharisee's house, and Simon the Pharisee, this is his house, 
He's got his arms crossed. Jesus is there. He's trying to evaluate Jesus. What do I make you? What do I think of you? Um, and this is how he's acting. And this woman comes in, and she's a sinful woman, it says in here, quote, unquote. She comes into somebody else's house, goes right at Jesus, and falls at his feet and just never stops weeping. And so it's this real interesting dynamic, and the people in the room are kind of going, whoa, look what's going on. And Jesus can tell that, that they're looking at it this way, and so he says this is a good teachable moment, and he stops them. And he says this, Simon, I have something to tell you. And that's never a good thing to hear when someone in authority says that, right? I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And Jesus goes on and tells this parable. He says, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Two guys owe money. One owes a lot. One owes a little. They both get it wiped clean. Who do you think is going to appreciate it more? Who do you think is going to love that guy more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus says, you have judged correctly. And then he goes on. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. And so the whole idea of God giving us himself gets it all started. Uh, in philosophy, in ancient philosophy, they always talked about an unmoved mover, and they were analyzing the cosmos and everything else, and they are saying, cause effect, one billiard ball hits another billiard ball, but what began it all? What got it all started at the very beginning? And so they always kind of posited, well, that must have been God. God's the unmoved mover. And we see that he does that with us in regards to giving us himself, that we don't deserve it, we didn't earn it, he just chose to initiate that grace into our lives. He chose to do it. And when we understand that, when we realize that something we didn't earn but is so great and wonderful that our sins are forgiven and we're reconciled, when we understand that whole deal, okay, it's going to lead into our ability to love others. Now, I, I think this is one of the besetting things of the American church. You go to the book of Revelation and it talks about uh, Jesus writes a letter to a, a church in the book of Revelation and talks about their lukewarmness and t- writes another letter and he talks about you've lost your first love. And, and basically, I think that it's a tendency of people, the more we begin to, the more we stop seeing our need, the less we really think that God has done for us. Okay, so, I mean, really think about that. If you don't need anything, then I might hold the door open for you, but what have I really done for you? Okay, if you need a lot and you call me and I answer that, then there's gratitude that comes out of that. There's appreciation. And the less we really think that we need God to save us, God's just a wonderful friend. Uh, he's just someone that I can pray to. He might help me. I like, I like being uh, in the presence of godly people. I mean, I, I like the God stuff. But I don't really need him to save me from myself. When we stop thinking along those lines, it doesn't lead to a gratitude. 
on our part for God and what God has done for us. And when we don't have that gratitude, when we can't appreciate God, then when we look at other people, we don't really have a whole heck of a lot of love for them. And I've always kind of shared the little anecdote that there's two kinds of people in this world, those who are goofy and know it, and those who are goofy and don't know it, and they're dangerous, okay? Um, We're all caricatures. Go to Disneyland, get the sketch. You're going to have a big nose or big ears or a big chin. We're all caricatures of the real thing. We're all caricatures. So when you look at somebody and they got the big ears, they got the nose, and you know that you're goofy too, you've got grace. You know what? I'm not perfect either, but God accepted me and loved me. I love you too. You're no different than me. When you don't think you need God, you think you're perfect, and you're not receiving that from him, you look at other people and they're goofy, and what do you say? You say exactly what Simon said. Man, Jesus doesn't, he must not know who this is. If he knew who this was, man, this is a goofy prank, get him away. And so our whole understanding of honest reckoning of ourselves, a humble reckoning of ourselves leads to an appreciation because God has given his son that we can be restored in relationship with him. And out of that springs just a, a, a wonderful ability to love. God has forgiven us much. We can love much. There's a, in Leviticus chapter 25, it begins to talk about the, the year of Jubilee. Now, this is an amazing thing back in the Old Testament that every 50 years, there's this year of Jubilee. There's seven times seven Sabbaths, right? And then that 50th year is the year of Jubilee, and it would come once in a lifetime. And all your debts are forgiven, and, and property you owned is given back to you, and it basically sets the whole board back. So it's like when you start a game of Monopoly or Risk, and you know after a while, the, the further you go, the more you start losing, and it's frustrating, and you've got to play the game out, because if you walk away, then everyone will be mad at you, because we all know that when someone leaves a game of Monopoly, it's bad game etiquette, and it ruins the game. Um, but the year of Jubilee is like when, I mean, you know the one guy that loses bad, and the minute the game's over, he's like, let's play again. You know that guy? That was me. Um, until I won, and then I was done. But the, uh, that, the game over, man, I did horrible. It was, I mean, I lost. I tried to make a stand in, like, Indonesia or, like, you know, and I got killed, and the game's over. But the year of Jubilee is like it, we get to set it up again. I get to start over again and pick my little countries and do all that kind of stuff. And so the year of Jubilee is this amazingly cool thing, right? And we don't have anything like that in America. I mean, it would be nice, but we don't. And in my mind, I look at our tradition, our American tradition of celebrating Christmas is kind of a little Jubilee moment, a little Jubilee opportunity where all the family comes back together, you get some time off work, and you get an opportunity to kind of start over for the year. I mean, you get that opportunity. And so when we think of Christmas, like think of all the Christmas movies you know and everything else, they all culminate to the most idealistic, idyllic, wonderful, utopian picture. And what does that look like? Here's Jimmy Stewart just to get us in the the mood and kind of show us a bit. Hello, Bedford Falls! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! So we go into Christmas, and, and that's the picture of Christmas, that 
that we should be running down the street saying Merry Christmas to buildings and stuff like that, that life should be wonderful. It's this winter wonderland kind of a thing. And the relationships and the love and the just everything kind of comes together in its unity, right? It's everybody's picture of the ideal Christmas. Why that picture? Why not fighting or why not... Um, why not a picture of just sleeping in all the time? And that's like the most perfect, like, how come that's not in the movies? It's not in the movies because it's not as important as the love and the relationships and the unity. Okay, At the, the core of life, if you want to get to the bottom of it and say, what is most important? What is most important is that it comes together and that there's a little bit of love, a little bit of grace, and that people can be united in relationships, tight relationships. And so we go into Christmas expecting the greatest thing, and the greatest thing is just that. It's wonderful little relationships. And we've got to initiate that. That's Because God has given to us, um, we can love a little. God is the unmoved mover that initiated with us when we didn't deserve it. And we can do the same. If we understand what God did, then we can forgive people their idiosyncrasies the offenses that kind of come out when Aunt Mildred like talks down to you at the Christmas gathering, whatever. And we can love on people. Turn, um, turn with me to Matthew if you can. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus gives us a, a shot of what love really is here. Matthew chapter 5 and starting in verse 43. Jesus says this. 5 verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay, let's just stop. Have you ever thought about that? It's called common grace, like is a good theological phrase for it. But whether you're good or bad, you get the rain, don't you? You get the sun, don't you? Like there's a certain measure of things that God doesn't say. You have to earn it today. You know, you got to be good today because if you're not, I'm going to punish you and no sun for you tomorrow. (laughs) You know, um, God doesn't do that. And there's a certain measure of common grace that God just says, you know what? It's okay. You don't have to earn it or deserve it. I'm just going to give it to you. Okay. And so Jesus goes on. He says, now, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. And then he ends this way. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's not hard to love people that are like giving you the BMX bike. Okay? It's not hard to love the people that are like treating you well and giving you lots of things and making you look good. It's not hard to love those people. That's the, mer- the, the bare minimum, rock bottom. Even the Nazis had good friends that they loved, right? It doesn't make us good people. That just, that's just basic rock bottom minimum level existence. And Jesus is saying, if you know God and you understand God, and and you resonate with that, then you've got to be somewhere above that. God sends his, his son or puts the son over both the good and the bad. There's things that he just gives because, you know what, it's good to give. And he just loves because it's good to love. There's some things that you don't have to earn. And he's saying, just love on some people. 
Don't make them earn it. We do this thing where it's like, I will only love you if it's just, if you've earned it, if you deserve it. And so I used to, um, believe it or not, I, I used to be a little little twerp. Um, and my family in Christmas time, I used to go in and, and I would love people up until the time my sister or somebody else said something or did something that I thought was wrong. You know, it's just not mature or it shouldn't have done that. And man, it would, I would just bring the iron curtain right then and I would pick a fight and the fight would last the rest of Christmas. And I would walk around and go, what? My parents would be mad at me. You know, I'm like, what? She, she did this, you know, she deserved it. Like she shouldn't have said that thing or, or whatever. And that's the way we operate, isn't it? Like people have to deserve or earn our love and, and then we'll love them. But if they do anything wrong or step out of line, if they're goofy at all, then we're going to point at it and say, all bets are off. I don't owe you anything. But let's just back up a bit and get back over here and remember, um, what did God owe us when he sent Jesus? God didn't owe us anything. God initiated grace because he is filled with love and he reached down and gave us himself. And the best of what he had, the best of what there was. And and if we get that, then we'll just get past the idiosyncrasies of other people or the goofiness. And we'll just say, you know what? I love you. <laughs> It's, it's all there is to it. You can mock me. You can spit in my face. You can be an enemy. You can persecute me. You can take the last toy at Walmart. Um, it's okay. I've got grace. I don't have to earn it. It's not a justice system. I was once loved when I didn't deserve it, and I can pass that on. Does that make sense? I'm tracking there. And, and that's kind of the thing that lends itself or, or leads into the next one here. Actually, let's just turn to Psalms. The next one here is if we if the give a little and love a little. And the last thing here is just laugh a little. Laugh a little. Psalm 126 says this, Our mouths were filled with laughter, verse 2. Our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. There's places in the Bible where it talks about laughter can be meaningless, right? There's deeper issues in life and, and deeper things hanging over us and sometimes laughter can be folly. But what it's talking about here in this psalm is laughter, being able to rejoice and, and exude that joy because of this relationship with God, because of God restoring you and taking care of you and all of that. That is a testimony to other people of our God. And when we bask in this relationship, God, you've given me yourself and I've been set free. Jesus says, if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. And so you're coming in this morning. Some of you are like um, in false chains. You're in shackles and you don't know that you don't have to be in shackles. There's the story of in India how they train elephants. And you've got these massive elephants that can just knock over whole buildings and they'll tie them to this little twig of a tree and put the rope around their leg and the elephant won't go anywhere all night long. Well, how, how did that come about? I mean, the elephant can just rip the tree right out of the ground. Well, what happens is when the elephant's a little bitty elephant, they tie his leg to a really big tree and try as, as much as he can, he's not going to get free. And then as the elephant gets a little bigger, um, 
they, they start to decrease the size of the tree, and pretty soon he gives up trying to get free. And by the time he's a full-grown elephant, they can tie him to this little stick of a tree, and he'll sit there all night long, enslaved, bound, trapped, won't go free. And a lot of us are coming in this morning, we're kind of like that elephant. We've been conditioned to live as if we're not set free from some of the things that happened in our past, some of the things that people did to us, some of the deep fears that we've got. We, we've conditioned ourselves to, to be trapped by that. And when God gives us himself, he's saying, no, you don't have to, if you read the book of Hebrews, you don't have to live in fear anymore. Okay? doesn't matter what happens to you, your body or whatnot. There should be a, a peace of mind that comes in being grounded in your relationship with God. And that's huge. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenally huge. And when that happens, when we take hold of God's gift to us of himself, we ought to be filled with joy and laughter. And that laughter and that joy is representative. It's symbolic to other people that we've been set free, that, that God is there in our life. It's a part of of the testimony or the praise that God gets from his dealings with people. And so it's okay to laugh. It's okay to, to have joy. It's a good thing. If you turn over to Proverbs, in chapter 15, there's a couple of verses that talk about joy and, and laughter and things like that. But in verse 13, it says this, A happy heart makes the, the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. A happy heart makes the face cheerful. Heartache crushes the spirit. If, if we truly can go to God and say, man, you've got a gift for me, and yeah, it's like a roof over my head, but you know what? Um, that's pretty phenomenal stuff. I just went to Africa, and roof over the head thing actually means something to me now. It means a lot. It's huge. Having a home is the most fundamental need that humans can possibly have. And and when we've got that, a happy heart's going to make the face cheerful. We're going to laugh. So I think laughter is huge. I read a book once on Jesus and humor. It was an interesting take by a, a scholar. And he went back and, and had found old letters um, and papyri letters, different fragments and things like that from around the time of Christ. And he was hypothesizing that the humor in Jesus' day, because we all know that in different generations, humor is different. So if you go back and watch like Leave it to Beaver, um, I'm not going to laugh. You know, I mean, but some of you might, you know, and then if you watch Saturday Night Live, I'm going to laugh and, and others of you of a different generation might look at that and, and not laugh. And every generation has a different style of humor. And what this guy was basically offering was that in Jesus's day, um, that overstatements were kind of what they used for humor. So that when Jesus said to the Pharisees, you um, strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Okay, it wouldn't have been like in the Jesus movies where you've got the Jesus robot with blue eyes and it gives your kids nightmares, you know. Um, but this would have been like Jesus would have been like like going after the Pharisees and saying, you guys are idiots. You know, you, you swallow a gnat and, and then or strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. And there would have been all these people going um, just laughing hysterically and slapping their knees and going, um, get them, Jesus. You know, like laughing, you know. Um, whether the guy's right or not, I, I don't know. I think that maybe it'd be cool if he was right. Um, and that Jesus actually didn't just operate on this emotional level of a zombie, but actually could cut a joke now and then and point out some of the things that are so obvious, but also ludicrous. You know, you guys swallow 
Strain out a knot and swallow a camel. You know, that's funny. In Jesus' day, that was funny. Um, I, uh, for Christmas a couple of years back, uh, when I was in California, we went and visited people in the hospital. And there's a pastor there by the name of Dan. And then there was another pastor by the name of Robert. And those two guys went to a hospital. And Dan is <laughs> uh, one of the most interesting fellows you'll ever meet. Kind of quirky and a little bit awkward. And he's the kind of guy that had the worst luck of anyone in the whole wide world. So, like, if he ate something that gave him an allergic reaction so he'd have to go to the emergency room, he'd get a speeding ticket, and then he'd get in an accident, get to the hospital, get out, slip on ice. Like, I mean, the guy just had the (laughs) worst luck. So they're going to visit this couple, and the woman's in the hospital, and the husband's um, not a believer. And and Dan asks Robert, well, what should I do? Because it's his turn to kind of do the interaction. And Robert gives him a psalm, says, Read the psalm. It's it's kind of the perfect psalm. Well, Dan uh, kind of went in and clumsily forgot the psalm. <laughs> he forgot the exact number, and he thought he remembered it. So at the end, when it was, he says, "Well, can I just read a psalm to you?" And the lady's like, "Sure." He missed it by one. And instead of getting the nice psalm, he got one of those like really depressing psalms. And so he started reading, and it's like, "And God will grind you into the dust, and your days will." F- fly by and then you're going to be eaten by worms and 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 you're going to moan and there's going to be no relief and like god's going to just pummel you with his anger and and then you die you know and he's reading this and dan dan's not a quick guy you know and so so he's reading it and all he knows is just just keep going and like do it with an authoritative voice and maybe they'll think i know what i'm doing and maybe it'll get better so he just starts reading it and preaching it and, and he gets down and it doesn't get better it just ends you know and he just kind of goes, okay, well, so thank you. And, uh, and the husband now is like pacing around, visibly agitated. And they came back and poor Dan is like, you know, this was a nightmare. And, and, and all I could do is laugh, you know. And I think sometimes we got to just laugh at stuff and just go, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. Melanie Meyer came out of the first service who read the story. And she said, Ken, you know, the, the funny thing about laughter in our family is we've always said, you have to laugh about it now if you're going to be able to laugh about it later. And if you think about it, some of those big arguments you get in over the holidays, if you were to laugh about it then, like a week later, you're, you're cutting jokes about it. Wasn't that stupid when I did this? Yeah, yeah, well, I shouldn't have reacted this way. Uh, you know. And you're, you're, you're making jokes about it. If you don't laugh about it at the time, come November, December, you're making holiday plans for the next year, you're already beginning to, to wonder, oh, this is awkward. There's this unspoken thing going on. Can I, can I be there and not get into a fight? Or how do we talk about it and tiptoe around it? And, and we just got to laugh it off then. You know, laughter's huge. It's important. All of us can do it. There's a guy that sent me an email two days ago, and, uh, an older gentleman in town, and he sent this, this, this email, and I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever read. And I thought it was so interesting coming from him, but... You know, all of us, no matter who we are, can be funny. Here's what he sent me, just because it's funny. Uh, He sent me the story about um, a pastor back in the days of temperance. And the temperance movement was nobody should drink anything, right? And so the preacher was preaching a a temperance sermon. and, And he gets to the end and he starts getting really animated. And he says, if I had all the beer in the world, I would take it to the river and I would dump it out. And then he just he's just getting really worked up. He says, if I had all the wine in the world... I would go down to the river and I would pour it out. And if I had all the whiskey in the world, I would gather it up. I would go down to the river and I would put it in the river. 
And, uh, and then he ends and he just stomps off and sits down and the music director gets up, um, <laughs> and he's just smiling. He doesn't know what to say. He says, okay, our closing hymn is, is number 356. Let's gather at the river. <laughs> you know? And, uh, I mean, some of these things like the pastor, you know, you can plan it out all you want. And you can just envision this perfect thing and, and, and touching everybody, but there's just stuff that doesn't quite go the way you think it's going to go. And that's funny. And you're going into Christmas, and guess what? Uh, the next couple days, you've, you maybe have this picture of what's going to happen, and it isn't going to go exactly that way. And guess what? It's okay. We can have grace, and we can laugh, and it's funny, and it doesn't matter, and there's bigger things in this world than justice and telling someone why they're wrong. And those bigger things are grace and telling people why you love them and why you want them in your life, even if they are silly, even if they are that woman that Simon was pointing a finger at. And so we want to give a little, we want to love a little, we want to laugh a little. In uh, Psalm 90, it just says this, and we'll kind of close with this. Psalm 90, verse 14 it says, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. The one thing we can't miss this Christmas, we can't forget, is that the gift that God has given us, regardless of what you give to other people or what they give you back, the gift that God is giving us is a gift of himself. He's giving us himself. And that gift right there is the first in a series of dominoes that really allows us to have the life that we all want to have. Okay, it, it is the crucial thing that gets it all going. And the psalmist says this, God, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. Because if we actually get satisfied by that, if we actually take that in and let that just seep through us and, and we're grounded and we're not the elephant tied to our fears and everything else anymore and the junk, but we're like, you know what? God loves me. And he set me free and I can rip that out and I can, I can be grounded and I can have grace. And it doesn't matter that other people are goofy. So am I. All this other stuff. If God satisfies me in the morning with his unfailing love, it's not going to dry out. If God does that, then we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. And so may you have a Merry Christmas. And may your Merry Christmas, may your good Christmas flow out of God's love to you and God's gift of his son to you. Let's pray. Father, we do uh, confess that sometimes we take you for granted. And we confess also a stronger desire that we want more for ourselves. We want more for our relationship with you. We're not always happy with the people that we are. We want to be changed. We want to be different. And so I just pray like the psalmist that you would renew within us a right spirit, that you'd take our mustard seed of faith and that you would water it and grow it, that we may be able to more and more just come to you in the morning, be satisfied by your love, and just that our faces would show the difference, our laughter would show the difference, our grace would show the difference, our ability to initiate things with other people, whether they deserve it or not, would show the difference that we have been claimed by you and set free by you. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the gift of yourself. Father, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you in Christ's name.